the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. Today we're on week three of our series, Hope. We're kicking off the new year talking about hope because I feel like actually if we look at our climate we're in politically at the moment, uh, Donald Trump, mm, there we go, Boris Johnson, the fact we had an election in the UK where both main party leaders, as I was saying last week, uh, racist, one to the Jewish people, another one with multiple racist comments and sexist comments, and the way he's treated women. When we look at these two, that was our options. Those were our two options, because let's face it, Liberal Democrats are never getting in. So we only had two options and two party leaders, both of whom had hate towards people of a different background. That's pretty scary, it's pretty messed up. Then not forgetting, we've got Brexit looming large over all of our lives, not knowing what that's gonna look like, knowing what it's gonna be like. And then we can take things down to like the smaller level. We can kind of look at our own lives. We can look at the, the, the life that we live. We can look at the situation we're in that we don't really know about, the situations that are kind of a bit messed up. I think when we look at London as a whole and we look at the dynamic for like, say, uh, I was actually just talking with Antoine actually about young people in our capital and some of the situations they face. And actually when we talk, look at our capital, the key thing we talk about with young people at the moment in the news is always knife crime. We've got literally kids who are dying over nothing. We've got kids who are dying because they're going to the wrong place at the wrong time. That's literally it. They're traveling to somewhere and they're not seen and recognized. So the reason we want to start this year looking at hope is because actually I think that's such a powerful and dynamic thing. And I think so often we sell ourselves so unbelievably short of hoping for a different world, believing for a different world and trusting God for a different world. I want to read two passages from Romans that have stuck out to me this week and then we're going to get down to one psalm that's just been blowing my world. It's such a small psalm as well, so we're just going to flow through this. Romans 8 verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. I find that verse so fascinating. It was the first verse of the Bible I ever learned off by heart, Romans 8, verse 28. And ironically, the statement is, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who love God. That's kind of like a, a weird one for me because at the time I had to learn it. And if you didn't learn the memory verse or you spoke in, in Sunday school, you got beat with a belt. So it was kind of like, all things work together for good, but I'm going to get beat with this belt. This doesn't make no sense. You know what I mean? It was kind of a weird one for me growing up. The first verse, and I never forgot that verse, and I never forgot the duress under which I learned it. I never got hit with a belt. I learned every Bible verse I could. So, sl- slightly uh, going aside there, but for those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. That that's God's plan for our life, that he wants to be conformed to the image of his son. Uh, Romans 12 verse 1 I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercy of God to present your lives your bodies as living sacrifice holy and acceptable God this is your spiritual worship do not be conformed to the image of this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good acceptable and perfect and then today we are going to be looking at one of the shortest psalms I've ever read in my life I don't know why I read this psalm a hundred times this week I don't know why it captivated me. I don't know why it tugged on me, but it really tugged on me. So if you've got your Bibles, if you've got the Sea Hill London app, you want to look at it, it's Psalm 15. It's literally five verses. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? 
So these are the two questions that are on the, the, the sheet in front of you. You should have one if you don't, grab one from another table, sorry. These are the two questions. These are the two questions, the beginning of this psalm that completely captivated me this week. Who shall sojourn in your tent? Like in other translations it says, who shall dwell in your tent? Who shall live in your tent? But the strange thing about it is actually, it's like David was writing this psalm and he didn't quite feel comfortable with saying, who will live in your tent? Who will take up residence in your tent? There's almost like David had a bit of trepidation when he was doing this, that he started to get into the groove of the passage and he, he, he was hesitant to say, who will live in your holy hill? Who will, who will dwell in this place? He says, who will sojourn? You see, there's passages in the law about how you treat a traveler who just comes across your way, who ends up in your, in your country. There was, there, was, there was a fund. The Jewish people had a fund for people who came and lived among them who were not their own. Today, we've got Brexit because we don't want to have a fund for other people. They in their law had this intentional fund, like these people are not among us, they're not one of us, they're not with us, they're traveling through, but we're gonna support them, we're gonna bless them, we're gonna, we're gonna be generous towards them. And, and David almost, he feels this trepidation. I feel like, I don't believe any Christian should ever ever had any fear or anxiety about whether I belong with God, whether I can be with God. But there has to be this element that David experiences of this understanding of holiness. Who shall sojourn in your tent? For their people, it was like they were in slavery and they traveled with God and he had his own tent, which he had pitched up among the people. For David, as he writes this, it's a strange one because David's crib is massive. He's in this huge palace. The tent is now a tiny thing compared to what he has. And yet he has more holiness and reverence around the tent in the community than he does around the palace that he lives in. Like who could reside in his house? Yeah, David's like, yeah, pretty much anyone, you know, hey. Hey ho, but who could sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? So the tent is like the journey, it's the travel, it's the moving to the promises of God. It's leaving slavery and it's, a, it's taking the journey towards an identity that God has planned for you and to encountering the goodness he has for you and entering at a destination. And the destination is who shall dwell, who shall live on your holy hill? And then what he starts to do is, it's crazy it's a short psalm, it's because he starts to look at the characteristics. David starts writing this artistic song around these two questions. Who would travel with God? Who would be with him still after traveling at the final destination? And he says this, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right. That messed me up straight away. I have not lived a blameless life. There is a lot of blame at my door. I've upset a lot of people. I've hurt a lot of people. I've mistreated a lot of people. I, I look at this straight away. I haven't even got into it. I've got to the first part and I get disqualified and does what is right. There's times I haven't done what's right. I've done really wrong. And then here's the one that really, really stings me. And all this week, I couldn't stop thinking about and speaks truth in his heart. You see, Jesus said, what's in the heart comes out of our mouth and comes out of our actions. But here's the thing. You see, sometimes you can, you can actually live a blameless life and you can live for periods and you can live a life where you do the right thing. But actually, often... The thoughts in your heart are mad evil and you filtered them and then you've arrived at doing the right thing and being blameless. But David here is like going, no, 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 no. It's like, if you're gonna dwell in this tent, if you're gonna be with God, it's not even just that you're blameless, it's not even you just do the right thing. Just speaking truth in your heart. The thoughts that you have about people you meet for the first time aren't like, they look whack. 
Look how strange they are. Why the heck is he acting that way? Why is she doing that? Why have they said this? Man. Verse two, and I'm, 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 I'm kind of like, I thought this was a short storm, and I get through the second verse, and I feel like this is a long thing. Because then we get to verse three. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor. And most of us are still like, well, here's the thing, and I've said it so many times, the passage with Jesus, where the rich young ruler comes and they have a conversation about loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. And the rich young ruler says, well, who is my neighbor? He's basically saying, who don't I have to love? When I look at this question and it says, who does no evil to his neighbor, I want to ask the question, who is my neighbor? Because, you know, we all need that one person we take everything out on. No one here does. That's great. You guys are all amazing. You know that one, you've had a bad week and then that person just walks across and does something so annoying and it just comes out. You just pour a whole can of evil on that person. Maybe it's just me. And does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up reproach against his friend. Man, we've all, like, we go, what? Who would do that to their friend? But we've all had frenemies. We've all had situations where those who are closest to us have maybe just stepped a little bit over the edge and trod on our feet, our toes a little. Sometimes we've had friends who've kicked us right in the bits and it's like, wow. Sometimes we've had friends where we're like, oh my gosh, there are so many knives in my back, which one do you want to pick? You know what I mean? And sometimes in those moments, we've done things to our friends that if we were honest, we weren't really proud of. In whose eyes a vile person is despised? I feel like this one really, really kicks into gear for our society. So often I get introduced to people and they're like, oh, this guy's an absolute legend. You're gonna love this guy. This guy's a legend, absolute legend. And then I meet him and then he's talking to me about how he treats his friends and how he treats like women and stuff. And I'm like, a legend? He's more of a leg end. I don't understand how this guy's a legend. He's abusive and he's all about himself. But in society, this is a vile person. And we're like, you, you're amazing. You're amazing. You're so amazing. We love loads of guys who are just doing songs that are so aggressive and violent. And we're like, they're legends. You know, they're promoting it and they're legends. They're legends. But he's like, in whose eyes a vile person is despised? That's not to mean that you start treating a vile person badly. You don't, you still love them. But I feel like today we have these blinkers on that we can't even see someone who's vile anymore to be like, oh man, this person, like especially with young people, so much of youth culture today, it is so, some of the values are so vile. That doesn't mean like you reject them. That doesn't mean you push them away. It means you love them more than ever and you love them intentionally to see a difference made. But actually today's society so often we see things and we don't even see those things as vile anymore. And if we wanna be people that go on the journey with God, we've gotta see those things as vile. And then it says, but who honors those who fear the Lord. I feel like that's another thing that is so so different. So I've got a, a really good friend and I remember he was telling me that he doesn't drink alcohol. And I remember at first I was like, what? You're absolutely nuts. Cause I drink alcohol. I love alcohol. I love wine. I love whiskey. I love beer. There's a long list of drinks I love. It's short to go with the ones I don't love. Um, homemade absinthe. I don't love that. That's not good. Um, homemade absinthe, not absinthe. I would still drink absinthe. Just the homemade stuff. Not good. Never, never have that at, at, at a gathering. That's, it's not good for you. It's like poison. Um, but I remember my friend telling me like he didn't drink. But then I remember him telling me the reason he didn't drink. And you know what, it wasn't even about him. It was about someone else and it was for someone else. And I remember looking at him, and this is probably the only time in this whole passage that I've done any of these things. Man, I just wanted to honor this guy because I was like, rah. And he goes like, yeah, 
I love the taste of beer, I love it, but I don't drink it for this person and for this reason. And I remember hearing that, I was like, wow, this guy really honors the law of his life. Like the way he lives, he's positioned himself. Like so often, like those are the moments where I guess in our society, we open ourselves up to ridicule people or make fun or have bants, because you know, bant is so legit. But those who honor those who fear the Lord, wouldn't it be amazing if we just respect people like, you know what, I'm not gonna go there because that's not gonna be a good place for me. That's not gonna be a good place for, for my family. That's not gonna be a good place for me helping those around me. It's just not a good thing to do, so I'm not gonna do it. Wouldn't it be amazing if someone told you like, oh, I didn't go there because this, and you just went, wow, you're amazing, you're a legend. We don't, we're kind of like, mm, you're a little bit weird. Who swears to his own hurt and does not change. This one, now we're talking levels. Like, I thought that, like the whole speaking in a heart thing was a mad one, but then this one just really cuts me up. Swears to his own hurt. So he's gonna tell you the truth and make promises even though it's completely not in his favor. He knows it's gonna backfire, he knows it's gonna hurt him, it's not gonna advance his career, it's not gonna help him in his friendship. You may even walk away when you hear what this guy has to say. But he is going to swear to his own hurt. And also, when the pain comes, he's still not gonna change. He's gonna stand by it and go, no, this is right, this is good. Who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent he who does these things shall never be moved. Shall never be moved. I thought that was a fantastic thing because so basically the person who dwells in the tent of the Lord, the one who dwells on his holy hill is a person that will never be moved away, will never be shaken. You know, they used to sing this in church. This was a song in church. I mean, I look at that, obviously in English, it doesn't really rhyme that well. In Hebrew, I'm sure it's banging. They used to sing this. I think about songs that we sing today in churches and stuff like that, and I think like, wow, no one's ever singing about that. No one's singing about someone walking blamelessly. No one's singing about doing the right thing. No one's singing about speaking truth in their heart. No one's speaking, a, no one's sending for slander. No one's talking about having to love people that you don't want to, uh, does no evil to people you don't want to do. It, it, we don't sing about like that. Let's do a song now today. We're going to sing about not taking up reproach against our friends. We don't, we don't those songs, you know, Hillsong aren't releasing those hits. In whose eyes a person is vile and is despised? Who swears to his own hurt? Hey guys, we're gonna do this new worship song today. I've just been like realizing that actually I'm gonna say things that are gonna damage my credibility and really hurt me. And I just thought we should sing about that. No one's gonna do that. No one's gonna put the smoke machine on as they say, I'm not gonna use my money to make interest out of anyone. But we would probably sing the last bit. Who does these things shall never be moved. You know what I mean? This is a mad, mad song. And I started to think about, well, how do you sing that as a group? How do you sing that as a house group? How do you sing that song as a church? And I realized something. It's because these people weren't singing the song in a judgmental way. These people weren't singing a song, look at each other funny. They were singing it as a song together. going like, you know what? I want to aspire towards this. This is the person I want to be. I want to be a person who speaks truth in my heart. I haven't spoke truth in my heart my whole life, but God, I desire to be a person who's like this. They want to chase after being this type of person. This song was like an image, a reminder of what they were to aspire to. It's not a guilt trip or anything like that. But then 
And as I started to look at this psalm, I think the reason it started to tug on me this week is I started to realize there was a man who traveled in his tent, who went on that journey. There was a man who dwells on his holy hill. There was a man who walked blamelessly and did what was right. There was a man who spoke truth in his heart, who didn't just say the things that he wanted to say, but he said that which he heard his father saying and did that which his father did. There was a man who didn't slander with his tongue, cussing people out, who did no evil to those around him, who didn't take up reproach against his friend, even against Judas who betrayed him, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he still had love for them, who honors the honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. That Jesus looked at each one of us and he said, I'll swear to my own hurt of my love and my dying love for you that it will never fade, it will never give in. I'll lay down my life for you. I'll take it up again for you that you will live for eternity and you will be whole. And he'll do all of these things for what? He'll do all these things so that you and I will not be moved from God's tent. He does all these things that you and I will not be moved from the holy hill and dwelling with God. And he does all these things as an example for us to have hope that this is the person we can aspire to be for 2020. It's not like we're never gonna break these things. We're totally gonna break these things this year. We're gonna fail at all of these things on the list. But that Jesus was this image that God holds up, one that we are saved by faith and grace alone, but we're saved for good works. So I, I, these sheets that are in front of you guys, we're gonna take a minute or two on these things. There are two questions. Who shall travel with the Lord in his tent or who shall dwell on his holy hill? And in that passage in chapter 15, it lists different characteristics. What I want you to do is I want you to write down if there was one of those things that jumped out on the page at you today that you thought, you know what, 2020, forget just aspiring for hitting my financial goals, my my company goals, whatever I want to do in that area. Not just your relationship goals, that's a great hashtag. But actually, which area do I believe God wants me to be more like Jesus in this year? Which of these characteristics that you get to live and travel with God, which of these criteria is jumping out at you? I just want you to take a moment, one or two minutes, to write that down. I'm going to pray for us now, but then we're going to take a minute and then we'll be done for this week. Father, I thank you for hope. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the hope that he gives us. I thank you, God, that you've called us to dwell in your tent. You want us in your tent. I thank you, God, that this is the type of person that you want us to be. We talked about being called, being for, that you foreknew us, that all things work together for good for us, Lord God, that you predestined us to be conformed to the image of your son. But sometimes we say these things and we pray these things, God, but we don't ever think about what it looks like. Psalm 15 shows us what it looks like. I pray, Lord God, that you would speak to each one of us about the area you would love for us to experience transformation in this year. That we can have a hope that we can be more like Jesus. That we know that not only that, this hope isn't just for us to feel more fulfilled and whole in in ourselves, but actually these characteristics are what you want to use in us to lavish your love upon the troubled youth in our generation and around our society. And also the love you want to pour out of us into our families, into our friendship circles. That we'll be agents of hope and agents of change this year. I pray you be with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We really hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london.